Following me, submitted by Mies. When I was around eight or something, my family had moved into an old, scary, sort of large, but not like mansion large house. About five to six months after we moved there, I had a strange dream. I dreamt that something or someone was tickling me and like stretching me so painfully. About two minutes into the dream, I woke up having felt it in real life. I quickly ran to my mom's room, which was all the way on the other side of the house. I had to go down the stairs, then a five-minute walk, then go upstairs again to her room. When I finally got to my mom's room, I jumped in her bed, and although I was worried sick, I fell asleep. I may have woken her up in the process. About a month later, I saw something that looked like Lucifer, a demon that had pale white skin and was wearing a suit. He had red eyes, eyes that an eight-year-old would definitely be scared of. I told my mom about it. She mentioned that she had seen it too. The night I went across the house and jumped in her bed, what I didn't realize that a shadow, possible demon, followed me the entire time. After we mentioned what we saw to each other, we knew that both of us were definitely not hallucinating. Three years later, when I was 11, I saw it again, this time in my other house. So I definitely knew that it was not part of the house, that it was following me. Welcome to the True Scary Stories with Edie and Nick podcast. This is the podcast where two comedians read scary stories submitted to us by our fans, the Uglies. Hey guys, so great to be back with you. And we cover topics uh, that we just think are really scary and interesting that we think you would like. But this is a podcast that has commentary, so if you're not into that, you might want to check out our other episodes of uh, the podcast Just the Terror right here where you're listening to True Scary Stories. It's all the terror, none of the talk. This story was submitted to us through the website. If you want to submit your scary story to us, you can do it at True Scary Stories on Facebook, Instagram, or TrueScaryStories.com. With you, Janet. You did great. Wow, <laughs> after not being back for a while. I know. Yeah. I know. I was. Uh, I started to panic there a moment. <laughs> I know, because you had to remember new... Th you didn't even uh, know what you were going to say. No, mostly. I just went with it. The The scariest thing that was submitted to us through our Instagram is that our Instagram got hacked. Whoa! Oh. Everybody mentioned it. Uh, yeah, sorry guys. Hopefully no one clicked on the... On the link, uh, I don't even know how it got hacked. I think it's probably Nick's fault. Yeah, I uh, use our Instagram to go to you know Girls adult profiles. sites. <laughs> You're so annoying. Adult sites. That <laughs> uh, it was so sad too because it was like it was like a message that played off of people's like I know. it was like I made this for you. It took me hours. It was like I man, know. that's so messed up to like hit on people like that. Yeah, just know guys that we will never take hours to make something for you personally. <laughs> I have when I was making masks for everybody. Oh, that's right. She all right, all physical right. things. Anyway. Yeah, let's get to the let's get to the story. My sent us. Okay, so very, very spooky. And I love how your mom just instantly didn't try to hide it from you or try to BS you like a lot of parents do when their kid comes to them with this kind of stuff. I mean, you see it on every horror movie. The wife will see something and the husband will deny it, deny it, deny it. Really cool of your mom to be like, oh, yeah, I saw it too. That's exactly what I would do. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, you saw it too? Okay, good. I thought it was just me. I was scared. Uh and so that like that validates it for you. Uh, and then the fact that it's following you now, now it's kind of like, all right, what'd you do? Yeah, what'd you do, mice? Yeah, what'd you do? Or Mies. what did your mom do to Mies. get... I hope we were saying that right. Yeah. What did your mom do to lure that in there? Uh, you need to look at the antiques you've bought. You need to look at the seances you've done. <laughs> you need to look at the communication uh, you've had with... Uh, 
the Satan and uh, figure out why that why that's going on. Otherwise, you know, you've heard it on the haunted haunted mansion. It will follow you home forever. Yes. Get rid of it. It's like an STD. Yes. Uh, it sounds like your your sort of large but not like mansion large house is actually very large. It took a five minute walk. <laughs> And you had to go down two and up a set of stairs uh, to get to your mom's room. So this is huge, which makes sense why your mother was willing to admit there was a demon. Because you guys are like, no, let's move. <laughs> you know, the reason most people don't admit is because, like, we can't move. <laughs> right, so they have to just deny, deny, deny. Yeah. It's not so bad. I mean... Maybe we could get him to do the dishes or something. Yeah, so let us know what happened. Are you okay now? Is it yeah. still, is it now like, well, I've moved with you guys too. Do you want to click a link uh, that maybe would make you feel better? Yeah, that we'll make for hours to... <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, it's kind of the same thing, that, that link, that spam link in the, the demon in your house. Yes. Both things that you've contracted. Yes. <laughs> that you got to get rid of. Ooh. All right, let's keep going. All right, so I'm going to be talking today about the Kanyana Cave. I am, hope I'm not butchering that, also known as the Makua Cave. Uh, it is located on the western coast of Oahu, and that's in uh, Hawaii. The cave is believed to be the beginning of human creation. It is named after the god Cain, who is the, the god of all creation. He's, he's the big man over there. Uh, so this place is not only rumored to be super haunted, it is actually a holy place in Hawaii because it's believed to be so evil that if they gave it a beautiful name, uh, they, th they think that it's going to hold everything that's in there from coming out. This cave is what... That's why we name our, our chihuahuas like sweet names. <laughs> yeah. <or> like, <laughs> it's like, don't worry about tulip or buttercup. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yes. It's like, well, I need to worry about a tulip or buttercup. Or like the meanest guys in jail, they're always, they're always named like tiny. Yeah, sweet smile. It is like that. Yeah. It's like that a lot. It also reminds me of when I was a kid, I would name spiders like sweet things so that they would be nice to me. Oh, okay. very Hawaiian of you. Right. I was like, you stay up there, uh, uh, munchkey. Okay, all right. <laughs> All right, so it's believed to be basically the portal to hell and the beginning of all humanity, all life. So a lot of psychics have gone to the cave and they say that they get this lingering sense of death and just all around like doom. And they sense many spirits that still linger in the cave. There are even stories of... Uh, like a car with two people being pushed into the cave and set on fire with people inside Whoa. to get rid of to get rid of the bodies. And there's also a lot of uh, rumors of like the Hawaiian mafia okay. disposing of bodies there. Well, then these psychics are very right <laughs> with their feelings. I think there's a lot of death here. Well. I'm like, why would you say that? He was like, mm, I feel like the scorched car over there. Do you hear screaming? I was like, yeah. oh. And the guys that are saying, hey, stop, stop looking. Don't take pictures. <laughs> right. The mafia guy's tiny and, uh, sweet, and sugar. Sweet sugar Moses. <laughs> sugar cookie and tiny. Okay, so there's that. And I bet you the mafia is the ones who, who put the car with the two people and burned them alive in there. 
So the mafia was rumored to be putting a lot of bodies in there in the 1900s. Hawaiian mafia. I've never heard of the Hawaiian mafia. Well, it sounds like a delicious food. <laughs> like a does. cute, like it little, does. like like a little scrumptious, it's a like spam dessert. Yeah, the Hawaiian mafia. Uh, mafia is just like you know mob. It's just right. Mob, oh, okay. So. When I think mafia, I think it has to be like, and it's like a specific organized crime, like how it's like a. Uh, like how like uh, Harvard is like a specific kind of school. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not just school. That's what I'm it's thinking. Not just like college, it's, right? Yeah. Mafia is all in the same like kind of school setting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mafia recognized mafia. Okay, so mafia people are killing people, putting them in the cave. Obviously, now it's going to be very haunted, uh, and not to mention it's a portal to hell. Oh man, there's a lot going on with this cave, this right. beautiful cave. And there's also. Uh, Legend says that there is a shark god that lives in the cave. Oh. And he lures humans there and eats them. Wow. Right. So shark god's hanging out in there. It used to be covered in water, like most caves. Mm -hmm. used to be covered in water, so it makes sense that there used to be some kind of shark-like creature in there. Yes. Uh, (laughs) So that guy's in there. You got all the ghosts of dead people in there. The cave is 150,000 years old. And like I said, it used to be completely covered with water. So it seems like a pretty good place to dump a body or to get lost in. It's a very big cave, so it's easy to get lost in. People get lost in it and never come out. And priests have actually gone to the cave to perform rituals. And it is said that their spirits still reside in the cave man well you know and that's maybe the, to protect the the like, shark god well everything that's going oh, on in the cave it seems like there's a lot of rowdy behavior in there yeah so maybe the priests decide to stay there because they're like yeah i gotta negate this i gotta i gotta conflict manage all these different <laughs> entities in here it is the literal gate of hell yeah, and you know, when you bring so much uh, spiritual attention to a place, you're going to receive that spiritual energy. That's the other part of it. You know, they are giving this place that power. I think because it's also believed, like, the the priests believe that this place is a evil, evil place. They believe it's the portal to hell, that they would go there often to make sure that it's holding up and that... It's still blocked off, so everybody on the island is protected. Scary. And they might be there staying because they want to still protect the island. Yes. Uh, So, okay, yeah. So the the cave, very scary. All those things are going on, and I have a pretty scary story about it. Ooh. And I'm going to read it, so hopefully I can get through a good... Oh, man, I can't (laughs) wait. Okay, let's go. All right, so I got this story um, from the Facebook of Joe Panohu, uh, and I heard some excerpts from that. I didn't get the whole story, but I just got I got the meaty parts. So thank mm-hmm. you, Joe. <laughs> All right, so Joe and his friends decide to go uh, to this cave. We are in an area so tight we are forced to crawl on our hands and knees, banging on the tops of our heads until blood trickles into our eyes. It wasn't a very relaxing realization, but I found it much harder to breathe. As we started to agree to turn around and head back to the cars, I noticed something in front of us. It looked like an opening, maybe 40 feet or so away, a place where we could stand up and walk around. 
I tell my friends, and we agree to cross the distance and see if it's a place where the water touches the cave. If that wasn't, we were going to turn around and head back. As I start closing the 40-foot gap between us and our destination, closing the space somewhat slowly, we get perhaps 10 feet away with my flashlight held down towards our goal. When something 30 feet ahead walks directly and deliberately across the beam of the flashlight from right to left, illuminating whatever it is for the briefest second, I instantly freeze. The first thought that came to my head is, this is a homeless guy, though I couldn't put my finger on it. Something about it was very, very wrong. I tell my friends just what I saw and mention it might be a homeless guy. So as we all bunch up and wait for it to walk across the other way, with the flashlight shining back down the cave, we saw the figure. We settle in and wait for two long minutes. We weren't disappointed. After two minutes, the figure walks from left to right now, slowly and deliberately, allowing us for a few precious seconds to see in full detail what this thing was. It was then that we realized that this wasn't even human, let alone an apparition of one. As it slowly walked by, we see rough skin and textured scabs, and besides the arms, which barely even resembled arms, and legs, nothing else looked human. We paused for a few seconds, absorbing what we just saw. Then we all started to scramble back up the way we came. It took us maybe five minutes to clear the cave. We were motivated by not only our fear of what we had just seen, but the sounds and noises that were chasing us. It was the sound of something behind me, clawing on the rock in a desperate struggle to reach us before we reached the end of the cave. As we got to the part of the cave where we could stand and run, we did so. One of my friends stepped into a hole and went down, twisting and breaking his ankle. So we had to stop and help him out. As we broke through the entrance to the cave, back into the surrounding darkness of the night and fresh air, finally, we break for our cars across the street. As I get into mine with my friend, I notice in horror that the car battery is completely dead. Against my better judgment, I decide to leave the car and catch a ride with my friend before they leave us stranded there. We run into my friend's car and pound the window until he unlocks it. Then we just pile into it. Then we realize his car is dead too. We start yelling and pointing fingers at each other. Then something shifted all around us. All at once, we stop yelling mid-sentence and turn around to face the cave entrance. As we look in that direction, something moves. A second later, the clouds blow away from the sky, revealing a perfect moon that casts an illumination on every branch and twig and rock, and also fully reveals to us the source of the movement. We watch as this figure emerges from the cave, shambling towards us and into the cars that refuse to work. This form stands maybe three to four feet tall, sort of hunched over onto itself, no neck. The head seems to fuse itself right onto the shoulders. We see a glint of red glowing where its eyes should be, like smoldering coals 
with just a spark of fire left in them. The body is covered, not by skin, but entirely by scabs. This figure continues to limp towards us, clear now of the cave, walking past the rocks, walking onto the very road itself, coming straight for us in the car. The figure then comes to a dead stop directly in the middle of the road, as if it can't pass the center line of the highway. It glares at us for a few more seconds with those horrible red eyes. Then it turns back and staggers again towards the cave. All right. Ooh, scary. I know. Um, our dog never makes any noises until it was doing the podcast, Ricky. <laughs> he was adding the demon noises to it. If people you guys heard people that. have said to I heard something in the background. It was like a noise, like an animal. Like, it was. Yeah, that's just a very small dog. That goes, <laughs> <laughs> or glug glug yeah. drinking. I, this dog is never thirsty until we start doing this. Yeah. And it's the loudest slurps. Um, so, I mean, you know, for me, the thing that really got me, it, it's the one of the scariest elements of any kind of horror thought is breaking your ankle while running. It always, it has to happen. You know, breaking, yeah, it's just like, oh my God, you know, and then the car batteries it, being dead. I wonder too, because they were both dead. So I'm wondering if that means that, that the thing had some kind of power over the cars, right? Well, that's the idea of, of, uh, the spirit world is energy of our world. It's energy. Right. So and it's, it's... ghosts and stuff like that often use electricity and stuff like that yeah. to communicate. And aliens have the ability to throw off all of our electronics and stuff like that. So I guess Scab Man, <laughs> old Scabby, uh, yeah. would have probably have that ability too as an ancient creature. I wonder if he's an ancient creature that basically just went extinct because of Hawaii being an island and there not being like a lot of... Like, it can have its own creatures because it's oh, yeah, an island. Yeah. And it's a small island, too. It's in the, it, relatively to the size of other islands. It's pretty small. So whatever is there could be the only one in the whole world. It could yeah. have its own animals that exist there that haven't existed anywhere else or completely died out everywhere else. Yeah. So this could be an ancient creature that's just, like, still living in the cave. And maybe the last one because of the location. Um, or, like... Like the uh, legend, it could be an, a god, like how they said that there's the half shark kind of guy god. This guy could be the half scab god. Or a priest that scares him away. The, right. Uh, the spirit of a priest is like, I got to scare people away from here. Right. Or just, yeah, the guardian to the gate of hell where it's like, yeah, I got to look scary because I'm gu literally guarding the gate of hell and all these dumb people. People come here at night. These dumb tourists keep coming over here and trying yeah. to get get to, you know, I, I go to hell. I'm actually helping them mm -hmm. out. And then once he passes a certain line, he's like, all right, as far enough. Kind of like Idris Elba in uh, in uh, Thor. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, where he opens he's, up the, yeah, yeah, you know, the in guy. a way. Yeah. yeah, he's a big scary guy at the, right. at the beginning of something to stop he, you from coming yeah, in. Yeah, and he might be actually just the nicest guy. And that's why he doesn't actually keep chasing them. He's yeah. just like, all right, get out of here. All right, you got here. the point. Get out of here, kids. <laughs> like the dog from Sandlot. Man, yes. I've got all the references. You've got right all now. the references for this one. Right. Like, yeah, get out of here, kids. And I broke your car so you won't come back. Yeah, dummies. I guess, but it did turn on eventually. Yeah. So it seems like whatever, it was trying to scare them. Like, don't come back here. Yeah. And so maybe it isn't that evil of a guy. Maybe it is just yeah. like really trying to. No, I mean, the, the scab thing is really gross and had no neck. Ooh. Three to four feet tall. That's like as tall as you. 
right. Funny. <laughs> All right, cool. Are you ready to get into your... Uh... Well, first a story break and oh, then sorry. my thing. Oh, story break. Uh, do you want to say anything about this, by the way? I, I thought I did. Uh, yeah. I think it's... Uh, I, I didn't know that you were going to talk about it. it. scared me. <laughs> what drew you to this? What made you say this is the story? Uh, I just had been... Uh, doing a lot of like interest uh, in caves and this was just one i picked yeah i was thinking about all the cave systems and all caves the creep yeah all the creepy stuff that's been going down lately i mean remember when they found that girl inside of a cave and she was just like in there crying and they were like where did this girl come from oh no i think she was a tourist but they've just and it was completely dark and these people went in this cave searching around like in really tight spaces and they found a girl in there crying whoa yeah no, i, I think we've talked that. about that before uh, maybe, on the I podcast it. wow right. scary anything else you want to say about this no i'm scared all right let's keep going George, written by Now's the Moment. I'm Native American. I've always been pretty in tune with the spiritual realm, if you will. For as long as I can remember, I've had a spirit that stays with me. When I was a kid, I always chalked it up as my imaginary friend. I named him George. He's been a blessing in my life. About two and a half years ago, my fiance and I moved into a new condo. We got pregnant about a month later. I noticed that George had been clinging to my fiance. He's always been a protector. Anyway, fast forward about another month, around Christmas time, I noticed that George wasn't around. Every night he was gone, I was visited by a little boy who was scared and running from something. That something was an evil spirit in the form of a little girl. Every encounter ended with the little boy saying, she's here. Then he'd vanish, and I'd be overwhelmed by this feeling of doom. Then I'd see her. It got to the point that I was sleeping downstairs to avoid the encounters. They seemed to stay upstairs until my last real encounter. Late one night, I walked to the kitchen to get a glass of water. There was the little boy, huddled on the floor. He didn't acknowledge me, which is odd because he always came to me. He looks up, stares straight through me, and says, Goodbye. Just then, the little girl appears and takes him away violently. Turns out he was staring through me and at my wife. She had somehow managed to come downstairs unnoticed. She's known about my experiences, but never seen one transpire. It was then she knew why I hadn't been sleeping in the bed. I'd had enough. The next morning, I'd go out and buy some sage. As my fiancé and I were cleansing the apartment, we began to hear rather strange creaking noises, almost as if the whole condo was shifting. We made our way upstairs. Right at the top of the stairs, a huge gust of wind blows out the sage. At that moment, George had returned. All was right. And the little girl hasn't since returned. My son is now two years old. He sees George, even calls out for him. I think it's cute, as does my wife. It still kind of scares her because she knows of the things I dealt with. All right. Well, that's, that's uh, what it, part of the man. <laughs> it, it is part of the man. Man, man. man. Oh, jeez. Man, I can start. I just can read in. that whole story <laughs> without messing up once. And now I'm like, it's part of Have you ever had a dream that uh, it could, that you would, that you would, that you could be anything? All right, go ahead. Sorry, Nick. Okay, so George is a little protector, right? Obviously, George is, is some kind of uh, spirit that watches this guy. Uh, lovely. Remember when we talked about the hat man and the little girl that would kind of appear with him in some of the things and we had mm -hmm. decided that the little girl was like helping him to retrieve spirits that are supposed to go uh, into the afterlife. Now here we have somebody who's pregnant, a baby coming into the world 
and this little spirit boy trying to hide from, you know, this this other little girl. They think it's evil, but it's like maybe the little girl's like, I am taking this spirit boy away from the almost newborn because if not, it's going to cause problems. You know, you already have kind of a spirit that follows you. So I know you're open to that. You know, like I don't think in reading this story that the little girl's evil. It just feels evil because of the little boy ghost that's scared of her. Right. And also just like if he is a real little boy ghost, you know, little boys are scared of girls sometimes. Yeah. Ew, cooties. Maybe she, yeah, maybe she has a little crush on him or something. And that's why he's like, no, I'm scared of her. Yeah. She's here. You know, maybe it's not something as evil as we think. Or I also think that spirits take the form of whatever it is. Uh, to just make like, you feel. Just like I think a lot of demons take the form of mm. just like the spookiest thing they can think of because so they can have that power uh, to get under your skin. Yeah, and maybe if this was a, a uh, bad spirit or a demon, it took the form of a little boy knowing that this guy was going to be a new father right. and more than likely wanted a son. So it's like... Oh, you know, like, don't I look like what you hope your your son may look like? Also, it would be this would be like really pull it all together. But it might be later they have like a miscarriage or something oh, no. or a kid they were supposed to have that didn't uh, that wasn't born. And that might be that kid helping uh, them out or yeah. maybe a brother that was supposed to be born to the, the Native American guy. Yeah, it could be somebody who's. Just like looking out for him on on the other side. Yeah, I mean the the basic thing to take from this is that if you are in tune with the spiritual realm, you will have to be dealing with the spiritual realm. That's what I meant to say when I said, "Man." <laughs> All right. Okay. Because you know, <laughs> that's what I meant All right. to say. Thank you very there much. There you go. All right. Let's keep going. And now my topic, guys, gang stalking in Ernest Hemingway. On July 2nd, 1961, celebrated American novelist Ernest Hemingway had committed suicide by way of his favorite shotgun. Shocking to many who knew him, those closest to him suspected a variety of events that could have led to Hemingway's death. The medical explanations range from a hereditary illness his father, who also committed suicide, suffered from, to depression from the multiple concussions he suffered throughout his life, to his lifelong fight with alcoholism, just adding fuel to his health and mental issues. Some people blame money issues or his failed marriage, but one explanation was never quite taken seriously until years after his death. Maybe the FBI did it. Well, not did it, but definitely helped it along. For years prior to his death, Hemingway would often tell those closest to him that the FBI had been tracking him for years. Everyone who listened to him just wrote it off as paranoia. Yes, they cared for his uh, him as a friend, but... The government going out of their way to track Hemingway just didn't seem logical. As a matter of fact, why would any group of people, government or other, go out of their way to secretly harass one individual? And would you believe it if someone said they're after me without being able to give any solid examples? Well, there's actually a street term for this type of activity, gang stalking. Even though it seems so by its name, gang stalking isn't a gang thing. Basically, a group of people decide to secretly surveil and harass one person in order to ostracize and or to persecute them, but it all must be done in secret. The point is the targeted individual should slowly deteriorate and become paranoid while ruining friendships, connections, and to just become a shell of themselves. And this can take place anywhere from months to decades. 
Although you can probably imagine most of the techniques of gang stalking, there's no set of actions necessary to make it happen. Secretly follow them, bug their phones, their houses, their cars, get close to the target, befriend them to the point of becoming close friends, only use all personal info against the individual, ruin the target's integrity with organizations they hold dear to themselves, begin harassing their closest friends in order to create division in their personal lives. It's psychological warfare. It's brainwashing. It's anonymous bullying. The crazy thing is that this has happened for thousands of years. Caligula, the third Roman emperor, was essentially brought down and assassinated because of conspiracy started by his own senators who wanted to restore their idea of the republic. It's not all just governments and trained operatives, though. All over the U.S., there are mean high school girls that go about targeting another girl to embarrass her for petty reasons. Remember the first time you heard of a slam book? The first reported example of a slam book was reported in November 18, 1928 issue of the Central New Jersey Home News. It was reported as a new fad among New Brunswick high school students. Modern examples of gang stalking involve cyber terrorism or cyber bullying. And as some believed happened with Hemingway, it can involve medical professionals being asked, forced, bribed to diagnose a target in order to make their life harder. The scariest part of it all there's no real way to know if it's truly happening. The perpetrators must either be caught and their actions brought to light or eventually classified files get released, like the ones that got released in 2011 confirming that the FBI was indeed tracking Herm Ernest Hemingway. That's right, 50 years after his death. In response to the Freedom of Information petition filed in 1983, yeah, it took 83 to 2011 for this petition to pay off, Jeffrey Mayers, then an academic at the University of Colorado, asked the FBI to release the redacted files on Ernest Hemingway. Over 120 pages of info show that Hemingway had been in the FBI sites from the early 1940s, when Hemingway worked for them, all the way to the 1960s, when he was admitted into the Mayo Clinic. And it was all approved by J. Edgar Hoover, who also did the same with everyone from Martin Luther King to John F. Kennedy. Hoover had piles of dirt on everyone, ready to use in case they became an enemy of the state. The files revealed that beginning in the 1940s, they had placed Hemingway under surveillance because he was suspicious of Hemingway's activities in Cuba. Hemingway did not help himself during his time in Cuba as he enjoyed celebrating Fidel Castro's regime, even going as far as kissing the Cuban flag after arriving after one of his frequent trips. Apparently, the big reason the FBI pushed for Hemingway's surveillance, his frequent use of the word our when referring to the Cuban resistance. But if you read into Hemingway's history with the U.S. government, much like the mean girls in high school, there may have been an even pettier reason. Hemingway liked talking about how stupid the FBI was. From 1941 to 1943, when he was asked by the feds to be their inside guy in Cuba to keep an eye on Spain, he took on their project out of boredom. And according to the FBI reports, Hemingway mocked them, enjoyed mocking them, even going as far as introducing an FBI agent as an agent of the Gestapo. This was mid-1940s. The agent didn't appreciate being introduced as a Nazi. Hemingway liked to say that the FBI were not very smart individuals and that it was just the weight of their paperwork that took down their targets. If only it ever found out about the 124-page report they did on him. Unfortunately for Hemingway, it was when Cu the Cuban government turned on him that the worst actions against him may have happened. Hemingway's friends remembered how he would complain about everything from his phone to his home to his car being bugged. The FBI did in fact conduct 50 searches on Hemingway's property in the first 14 months of their tracking him. His friends remembered Hemingway causing an outburst at a restaurant when he called out two men as being incognito FBI agents. He pointed out that multiple auditors would work on his bank accounts in the middle of the night. His paranoia became crippling. 
Before the end of 1960, Hemingway was admitted to the psychiatric section of St. Mary's Hospital in Rochester, Minnesota. Hemingway insisted that he check in under a false name to try and hide from the FBI, but his doctor told him that it wasn't necessary. In the release files, there was a letter from Hemingway's doctor to J. Edgar Hoover. In the letter, the doctor was asking Hoover for permission to lie to Hemingway about the FBI investigation, as a, in as much as this worry was interfering with the treatment of Mr. Hemingway. In other words, the doctor-turned-informant knew the FBI surveillance was negatively impacting Hemingway's treatment, but they continued with it anyway. Even his bedside phone at St. Mary's Hospital had been tapped. It was during Hemingway's stay where he was subjected to 11 electric shock treatments, believed back then to be helpful with mental illness. Of course, all this did was deteriorate Hemingway's overall health even further. Less than two years after his release is when he finally ended his tortured life. And apparently, that's when the FBI finally concluded their tracking of him. And this might be one of the only confirmed examples of gang stalking that we can read for ourselves. Although everyone doubted him, Hemingway was completely right. At least one of his closest friends, Aaron Edward Hotcher, yeah, that's right, Edward, Aaron Edward Hotcher, lived long enough to have seen the reports and even confirmed how Hemingway felt in those final years. Now, some of us could try to justify the FBI's actions by saying Hemingway brought it on himself, but Hemingway was just really a war journalist and a celebrated author who enjoyed poking at the government. He was mostly guilty of being a troll to FBI agents when he worked with them. How many of us have lodged a these guys don't know what they're doing joke at the higher ups at our job? And in no way did their constant surveillance and hidden presence in his life help his unavoidable mental and health deterioration. The only benefit from Hemingway's status is that he was famous enough for someone to care to find out about the classified files on him. How many old and current classified files are still unknown? Who else, celebrity or not, have been tracked and followed by their government? How many high school slam books have been forgotten throughout the years by everyone except the victim? Is someone listening to you, listening to this podcast right now? Oh. My personal advice, trust no one. Oh, my goodness. Bye. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't do this anymore. <laughs> yeah, scary. Now you see why it's scary, huh? Okay, I'm sorry. Nick was like, Ernest Hemingway. And, and you're I, like, it's going to be boring. And I was like, I don't even, I was like, I don't read. <laughs> well, I, books. I had been reading about gang stalking for a bit and I had prepared a whole bunch and uh, I always had kept reading this thing about Ernest Hemingway and I was like, oh my God, he was he was basically, you know, uh, tracked and he followed wrote- and, and driven to insanity by the FBI. He's one of the Beatles? Uh, yes, he's one of the Beatles. Uh, <laughs> he wrote Nevermore, the the Black, uh, the Raven thing? Yes, he okay. did. So, okay. you know, so it's it's just uh, a scary moment in history that was confirmed. You know, because like, like I said in the thing, you know, we don't even know really. But there, this happens a lot. About 60% of adults uh, believe that they're being, you know, gang stalked in a way, harassed by groups. And, uh, you know, this happens with religious groups. This happens with... With, uh, you know, the mafia. Actual... It happens with characters on King of the Hill. Characters of King of the Hill. There's a lot of Dale Gribbles out there. A lot of there. Dale Gribbles out here. You know, and, you know, a lot of people that have had these, there was uh, scientific studies as much as they can be done because they can only listen to the people where people are like, they've been tracking me for years. They put a listening device in my head and, and uh, they're always around and they follow me. Every time I leave a place, a car follows me and... Ernest Hemingway was right. <laughs> he was completely right. right. Everyone thought he was insane. This is the biggest I told you so of the century. Yeah, and he was com- absolutely right. Okay, and they were just doing this because he was making them look bad. He made he basically 
burned them. He arrested yeah. them. And so they just like made him go mad. Basically, they took it upon themselves. Okay. You know, and they say that they're, they found reasons to do it, you know, mm-hmm. because of like, well, right. he's friends with Cuba. And, yeah. You know, yeah. On paperwork, you need a reason to do it. But it's yeah. like, uh, yeah. yeah. So basically, and the, the crazy thing is too that they didn't even want him, like people didn't, they, what he didn't want him to, they didn't want him to be an example. No, it, they you know just what did I mean? it. It was like we want you out, and we don't even care like about teaching other people like don't mess with us. It's yeah, just, no, no one's gonna know about this. It's just uh, a secret uh, torture between you and uh, you and I. Yeah, it's just a thing we do, you know. And uh, it's just wild, you know, the the idea of gang stalking because, like I said, it it happens in in high schools when a group of mean girls are like, we're gonna just make this girls. Well, live a lot of celebrities think it happens to them too, and I yeah. always wonder if like just you get crazy because of how much. Uh, people follow you and stuff like that or if like it's actually you know true where you're like yeah they put a microchip in my head (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. i mean it's giving me a lot more validity now that i'm good i feel like i'm gonna listen a lot more when people say that uh but yeah it sucks too because it's like they didn't get to he didn't get to know and have other people know like yeah it was it was true yeah they're just like oh you know ernest He's yeah. an artist. <laughs> Crazy alcoholic He's artist. An artist. He's an artist. He's wild. You know how artists are, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And his, you know, his dad and his sisters went through the same thing. Oh, that family. Crazy old Maurice. Just electric shock. And which, to me, I, I wonder if that was, like, something the FBI told the doctor, like, all right, give him a 11 electric shock treatments. Yeah, yeah, you know, and shock he, his brain. Yeah, and he was just like, all right, that sounds cool. He's like, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> oh, can I drink before? Oh, yeah, just drink before whatever. It doesn't matter. Okay, cool. So there you go. So that's why this was scary. All right, cool. I'm very, I, 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 it was a lot more interesting than I thought. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> hey, I know how to make things interesting. You, yeah. Oh, yeah, you make it very interesting. Man. I'm going to start watching my back now. Yeah, trust well, you, no one, guys. You know me, if it's a historical figure, it sounds like it's school, I'm out. Yeah. But now, now I'm just freaked out. <laughs> okay, let's keep going. All right, and with the refrigerator kicking on. <laughs> I don't kick- know if they can hear that, though. I... We can hear it. All right, we'll so if me. you can hear it, it sounds like this. Yes. <laughs> That's a pretty dead-on... Uh, anyways, get it dead-on. It's a very good fridge. Dead, dead. Okay. Uh, but before we get to the last story, thank you for letting us take our break. We did True Scary Stories for like three years, and then we needed a little break. Now we're back, better than ever. Uh... Nick and I have been doing crazy amounts of stuff. I got to be in two TV series, and I got to star in one, so hopefully you guys will get to see it. Nick has been all around town. In fact, he's going to be in Vegas coming up. Nick? That's right. I will be in Vegas uh, next Monday through Sunday at the L.A. Comedy Club in the Strat Hotel. I uh, I don't remember the dates now off the top of my head. Let no, me see here. No, that was the whole point. I know. It's uh, the 17th through the 23rd. Oh, there you go. One show name. each night. So if you're in Vegas or if you're coming to Vegas or if you want a reason to come to Vegas, because I had some people <laughs> I had some people that came to Vegas with the what? excuse of we're going to go see Nick and then also go to Vegas. Uh, oh, my gosh. Then come on out and let me know because I could probably get you tickets too. Um and uh, I will be at uh, Glendale, Arizona, Stir Crazy Comedy Club, February 11th and 12th. Cool. Anything else? 
That's it for right now. Okay, cool. And don't forget to give us five stars after this because uh, we really thought about this. <laughs> yeah, and and thank you for returning. I hope you guys enjoyed uh, what we did. Well, I'll tell you thank you afterwards. Don't forget to give us feedback also on True Scary Stories, the Facebook group. Yes. And uh, let us know how you like this this new this new this new vibe. We got you know, going we got at. some scary stories and some history, and it's oh, all fun it's, for everybody. It's, it's a whole lazy Susan of things. We should yes. take your little pick. All right. So, anyways, quit Nick. Quit talking, man. You talk so much. Okay. <laughs> all right. Sorry. This is the final story. It is called Numb Darkness, and it comes to us, written by Mimosa Made Me Do It. (laughs) When I was around 12 or so, my mom and I lived in an apartment in Crowley, Texas. She was a single mom, so it was just her and I for many years. She did her best to make sure I had what I needed. I was and still am very fortunate that she put me first. Unfortunately, her work schedule didn't allow for her to be home when I got off of school. I usually had to take care of myself in the afternoons until she got off. It wasn't too bad. I'd just fix myself a snack and get through my homework until she was home. I should note that at this time, I was still sleeping with my mom. I initially started out in my own room, but I began having these horrible nightmares. It was the same dream each time. I was sleeping in my room. I could see a figure lurking in the hallway. I'd get up to turn on the light. Something, someone, would grab my hand, and I would instantly wake up. The touch of that hand was the coldest feeling I'd ever experienced. It was so vivid in my mind. I felt incredibly sad. Almost like the happiness was draining out of me. I started making excuses about wanting to sleep with her. My mom never made a big fuss about it. We would stay up late reading on a regular basis and I would accidentally fall asleep. I hated that room and avoided going in there at all costs. It got so bad that every morning before school I would lay out a change of clothes in the living room just so I could have them ready when I got home. My mom started to notice this routine. She asked why I didn't simply just change in my room. I made up some stupid excuse and she brushed it off. I kept my bedroom door shut at all times. I would hurry past it if I needed to use the restroom. The dream seemed to stay away once I stayed in my mom's room. It had been so long that I started to forget about them. One night, my mom had already fallen asleep, but I was still nose deep in my latest library book. It was late definitely past midnight, when I got an eerie feeling. I couldn't place it, but I was instantly uncomfortable. I put my book down and noticed a lump across the, uh, under the covers toward the end of the bed. We had a cat at the time, but I knew it wasn't her because she hated anything on top of her. I stared at the lump. It started to move toward me. I froze. Every fiber in my body was screaming to move, but was paralyzed with fear. I finally mustered a weak mom and nudged her all while keeping an eye on the lump. Finally, my mom woke up. As soon as she spoke, the covers went completely flat, like a balloon whose air had been released. I went into a crying fit and told my mom what happened. She assured me that I was reading too much scary stuff before bed and my eyes had played tricks on me. I convinced myself she was right and went to sleep. One weekend, I had a friend sleep over. My mom made a big deal about preparing my room for my friend. I thought that maybe since I wouldn't be alone that it wouldn't be an issue. We did the whole typical sleepover shenanigans, played with each other's hair, gushed over our latest crush, all while listening to our newest NSYNC CD. I started to get anxiety as bedtime loomed closer. I somehow convinced my mom that it would be better if we made a bed on the floor of my mom's room because my my room got hot or something like that. So we quietly moved to my mom's room on the floor next to her bed and fell asleep. At some point in the middle of the night, I woke up instantly and sat straight up. 
I was staring at the lump at the foot of my mom's bed. I suddenly became overwhelmed with the urge to touch it. I lifted the sheet and placed my hand on it. It was the smoothest object I had ever touched. I instantly felt every happy memory being sucked away from my body. All thoughts, emotions were drained. I felt cold, colder than any weather I'd been through. I became empty, like a shell of a person. Nothing was left but numb darkness. It was as if I was under a trance. I somehow was able to pull my hand away. I threw myself against the wall. I stared at the lump until I fell asleep. The next morning, I retold what happened to my mom. She broke down in tears. She thought that this was all behind us, but clearly it was more than she previously thought. I didn't do much that day. My mom busied herself with Sunday chores while I stared blankly at the TV. As she stepped out for a bit to do some laundry, she ran into our neighbor. Her name has left me, but I remember her being a caring figure in my life and a wonderful friend to my mother. My mother confided in her about all the odd occurrences. Our neighbor's face went grim. Our neighbor was Native American and was super in tune with her culture and traditions. She explained to my mother that for some time she had been feeling a presence and could not place its origin. My mom asked her to come inside to speak with me. She agreed, but upon stepping up to our door, she retreated. She said the origin was our apartment, and the spirit would not allow her to crush, cross the threshold. At this point, my mom was hysterical, as most mothers would be if someone told them an evil being was possessing her and her daughter's home. Our neighbor apologized, but promised she would gather what she could to help us. In the meantime, my mom reached out to my grandmother. My grandmother immediately told my mom to call my uncle. He had phoned my grandmother earlier in the day asking about me, but he didn't say as to why he was concerned, so my grandmother pretty much brushed it off. My mom called my uncle. As soon as he answered the phone, he said, I've been waiting on your call. We need to act now. We weren't close with this uncle at all. Hadn't talked to him in years. He told us that an evil spirit had possessed our home and he was going to help us get rid of it. He sent us a bottle of oil that was supposedly poured upon where Jesus was laid to rest. He instructed us to bless all doorways and entryways. This meant every door, closet, and window. He gave us a prayer to repeat and told us to make the sign of the cross over each one. Our neighbor had also given us a dream catcher to place upon the bed frame the night we blessed the house. She made us swear to stay in our bedroom that night and not emerge until morning. My mom and I quickly blessed the house and both of us passed out of exhaustion. That night was the first night I slept soundly since we moved in. My mom, however, laid awake the entire night. Whatever we did pissed off the spirit. She said she held me tight and put her back toward the window. Someone or something howled, crying the entire night. It was terrifying screams, as if the realization had sunk in that we had shut the spirit out and it was no longer welcome. She said that night was the longest night of her life. To this day, I have no clue what I experienced. If my mom hadn't gone through with it with me, I probably would have thought I was crazy. All right, and then here we have another story of a great mother who believed her kids. Nick, why don't you go first on this one? I mean, it's uh, all the steps that were taken were very interesting, and obviously it helped out the recognizing of the spirit, the the figuring out, you know, blessing the house, saying that it's not allowed, things like that. It's wild that the uncle knew something. I wonder how spiritually uh, strong the uncle is to have known something and then immediately say, we need to act now. Uh, it's wild, all that. You know, the neighbor knowing there was a presence and not figuring it out and that it was the apartment. 
scary things happened in here, but they obviously took the right steps, which is what we've talked about on the podcast before, taking those steps uh, and also doing them correctly, you know, which is very important. And it sounded like that's what they did. And uh, scariest part for me is really the spirit screaming and howling about not being let in. Like, how how frightening would that be to be in bed with your child and, and the spirit just howling like it can't get to you i can't get to your child i'm angry i'm upset i'm depressed and and i i was taking its happiness the fact that the she touched this the whatever it was and it was taking her emotions away it's very scary it's kind of like what we talk about all the time that these things they want that high vibration they want that high energy so to be taking that energy from them yeah makes Kind of perfect sense with and, everything we talk about on here. Yeah, and a child seems to have that energy at its strongest, which, you know, is even scarier. You know, if you have a kid and it's like, believe your kids as much as you can. And, and some people don't. It's wild that some people, even in real world experiences where it's like, you know, this this uh, this person's uh, coming after me and stuff like that. It's like, believe your child even if it sounds crazy, because it's better to protect them. Right. Um, it sounds like a lot, too, like a lot of movies and stuff like that, where you have the, the spirit taking, like, the youth of somebody and stuff like I that. I know, wild. It's very, I mean, I've, I've heard of similar scary things happening in Tangled, the movie. Yes, <laughs> yes, I want to keep your hair, exactly. <laughs> it is very much that in the vein of that, I need you. Right. I need your hair and your youth. Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> I need your your love of NSYNC. And who's your favorite crush? Like, Mike. NSYNC? That's so long ago. Okay, that's why I need it. That's why I need I'm it. Out of here. I never had a boy band when I was yeah. born a thousand years ago. What's your AOL instant messenger? I need Club and Penguin. I, wait, what? AOL Club Penguin? That's, we, no one does it. What's your MySpace? I need it. I need Live Journal. I'm a demon. I need to put out my thoughts. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you for listening to the, uh, this new episode of true scary stories with Edie and nick and thank you for coming back all right go give us five stars do it now bye love you bye